we shall be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Again, that is Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Good morning. Today we start a new series, the book of Galatians, written by Paul, the apostle. Some say Galatians is full of grace, although we find our, one of our favorite verses in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, which is posted on our wall going up the stairs that we are saved for by grace we are saved through faith not of ourselves it is the gift of God not of work so that no one should boast yet Galatians also known as the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty an argument that we are free from the law yet yet we should not fulfill the lust of the flesh but fulfill the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a, it's a wonderful and beautiful book to study in context because it puts our salvation and our Christian life within context, especially today that there are many who are adjusting the gospel. What is the major, minor and major adjustments? The lack of emphasis on faith and repentance is a disturbing thing. What they want you to do is to close you like a salesperson, closing you in a prayer, making you accept. And once you say yes, they think you're already Christians. And they actually say you're already saved without fruit, with keeping of repentance, without the evidence of genuine faith. That has been mentioned. Another adjustment is because you are saved, then it's okay to sin. Anyway, you're saved. That is a problem. Another problem, another adjustment is, yes, you're saved through faith, yes, but uh, it's not faith alone. You need works. You need the works of the law. What was emphasized by Paul, not only in Galatians, but also Romans, was that we are saved by faith alone. Yet the faith that saves us, according to the nicely phrased by the reformers, the faith that save, saves us is never alone. If you truly have faith, works manifest, but it's not the works. It's not the good works that save us. It's not following the law that saves us, following the moral law is a result of who we are in Christ. We pick two verses today in the first part of the salutation of Paul. A dire situation moved the quill of Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, to write a strong-worded letter. This is perhaps the strongest I have seen. Part of Corinthians was also very strong, but not as strong 
as within the chapter one of this epistle. In fact, once we get there, you will be surprised once we explain the meaning of what Paul was saying to those who make these adjustments to the gospel. It was very strong that it should warrant the fear of God within us. We should respect it with awe. We should respect it with the fear of God and with our love for God. One could feel the anguish in the soul of the apostle. And it is a letter written with anguish. He hurts within. And it's not the hurt that we experience like you offended me, I'm hurt. No, it's in the anguish of children in danger. And every parent knows that. It's the anguish of, of them not becoming true believers. It's an anguish within. And you, you'll find that in, in chapter 4. It says, my soul, he travails. The anguish, he travails like giving birth that Christ be formed in you. Knowing these things, true believers and those who truly disciple others know what I speak about. When most people do not care about the spiritual, they think about the material, the mental and the emotional and the pleasure of the world, but not thinking about the spiritual aspect. However, true believers know the pain and the burden of people not saved, especially those they love. They know that pain. Now, Paul worked with these people. He ministered to them. He spent time with them. And then he is saddened that they were falling away. One could feel the anguish of the soul of the apostle. He ministered to the Galatians, yet they quickly fell away from the purity of the gospel message. That's why in our church community, we defend to the dot, to the dot, to every word about the gospel. We don't take it flippantly. Oh, no, it's just the same, same meaning. No, we want to be exact. We want to be accurate, and we fight for that. As he fought for the accuracy of the gospel in a different situation, in a different attack, the attack these days are different towards the gospel. The manipulation in the gospel is different these days, yet we have, we should have that same boldness and courage and concern with the accuracy of the gospel. Now, who are these Galatians? Most likely, Paul wrote to the churches in southern Galatia. There's a belief that it could still be parts of the north. Now, if it's southern Galatia, these were the churches that Paul founded in his first missionary journey. When he was sent by the church, take note, he did not send himself. He was sent through prayer and fasting by the church in Antioch. In agreement with the elders, the teachers, the apostles, they sent him through prayer and fasting. That's why, why my question to everyone who claims to be a missionary, who sent you? 
and I'm not expecting an answer, and I don't... For me, if you say an organization, that's not good enough. Which church community were you sent by the leaders and the elders and the community there? Who sent you? Otherwise, I would maintain my distance. Now, some believe these areas included Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, places he has visited during the first missionary journey. Now, the salutation gives us already a clue of what will be discussed. Already a clue of what will be discussed throughout the letter. Some parts of it. Of course, in the introduction, we'll talk, he mentioned about the resurrection of Christ, which is part of the gospel. Although that, there was no controversy there, because those who tried to adjust the gospel during his time, during this time, also believed in the resurrection, apparently. It was a different thing that they adjusted, not the resurrection. But Paul, although he usually signs himself Paul, an apostle, Paul, a servant of God. Here, he definitely had to write Paul, an apostle. And he always says that. And uh, if you take note in his introduction, uh, this is a side comment, and I, I keep saying this, he never mentioned uh, the apostle Paul speaks to you. He never used it as a title. It was a function. That's why it is my preferred practice today that... I do not call myself Pastor Ed. I prefer Brother Ed, a pastor. It is a function, not a title, as an apostle is not a function. You may call me brother. If you feel I'm older than you and you want to show our respect, because as a society we show respect, then you can call me Kuya if you want. Now, that's just a side note and just preferences. But then going back, he always signed himself Paul, an apostle. But today, out of because we're lazy in how we speak, we just refer to him descriptively as the apostle Paul. Now, what is the significance of that word? It is heavy. My first point, apostleship. Because it was not only the gospel that was adjusted, so that these, these people, Judaizers, who, who visited those areas that Paul visited, the assumption is they came from Jerusalem, who somehow embraced Christ. However, they could not accept that it is by faith alone. They had to say that it's faith plus the law of Moses. And the first step is circumcision. So they were confusing the Galatians, saying that, uh, yes, it's by grace, faith, but plus this, plus this, plus this. And Paul was concerned about that. Now, to make sure they made the Galatians believe, they suddenly, they, not suddenly, they intentionally attacked the authority of Paul to preach the gospel. They attacked his authority as an apostle. And they're saying, there were only 12 and Judas. Some say there were 12 and then Matthias had to replace Judas. 
because it became 11 and there were still 12. Others says that there are more apostles actually beyond the 12, but they were with Christ since the beginning. Since the beginning. Because before, who was the apostle? Those who were with Christ since the beginning in his earthly ministry and witnessed the death and resurrection. Paul's apostleship was different. That's why some were questioning him because for him it was the Damascus Road. And then he learned, as he claimed, directly from God about the gospel. And we will find in chapter 2 that he visited Peter and James. And then they confirmed that his gospel, that it is the same gospel. So he's saying, my authority comes from the Lord as well. The difference is, Paul never met the earthly Christ. He already met the resurrected Christ. Now, some say there were advantages to it. Now, in the salutation part of the letter, Paul reminded the Galatians that he was an apostle. Now, apostle in in a shallow meaning means somebody who is sent forth. But in usage among Christianity, it means somebody having the authority of God to teach the gospel. During that time, the apostle was the authority in the church until they established local elders, where Paul himself would report to Antioch what happened in his ministry, and even went to the Jerusalem, met the Jerusalem council, and and presented himself there, meaning he was not making himself an authority alone. He respected the authority of others as well. And that is one sign of true apostles as well. They can correct one another. That's why there's a, I had this debate with somebody. I'm not encouraging debate, but I had this debate with somebody talking about, about apostolic succession of a certain big religion, and I said, so what if one of your successors, which you call a pope, contradicted the writings of the apostle? What will you do? Because they shouldn't contradict one another. Because God gave the revelation to the apostles in the New Testament, and then somebody who claims to follow would contradict. Now, that's a big problem. Side note. Now, his apostleship was not from men, but through Jesus Christ the God and God the Father. In the epistle, as we would study in chapter 1 and parts of chapter 2, Paul would defend his apostleship. So, let's read verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So we observe here what that what um, he was an apostle, but not from men. Through whom he mentions two, who is actually one, Jesus Christ and the Father. Now, as I as I mentioned, some people visited the Galatian churches, disturbing their faith by slightly adjusting the gospel. It might sound like the same as the true gospel, but the slight change made it a false gospel. 
That's why we are fighting for the accuracy of the gospel even today. Not some easy believism or overloaded works-oriented. Not in the emphasis of a simple acceptance through a sinner's prayer, but actually challenging people to have faith and repent of their sins because Jesus said that we should proclaim repentance. It was a command. Proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Of course, laying the groundwork, the truth, that Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins, but because he had no sin, he resurrected, the Father resurrected him from the dead, defeating death. But what should be the response to follow Jesus? How? Through faith. How? If you truly have faith, you repent of your sins, you turn away. We're not saying you're perfect. Every time we sin, we confess our sins, we repent before the Lord. Now, what I'd like to mention to you or remind you is if you truly believe in the Word of God, there is a, there is a battle. And you're in it. Whether you don't, if you don't care, then you don't understand what the apostle was concerned, deeply concerned about. You don't care. You're passive. You're too concerned about what you will eat, what you will drink, what, how you will pay. If you're too concerned, more concerned about that rather than our battle for the purity of the gospel, I implore you, say to the Lord Jesus, I am your soldier of the truth. Well, again, they also questioned his apostleship. The second thing I'd like to point out as we see in this verse is resurrection. Paul mentioned that the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It may seem like a formality because it's just a salutation, but it's not, it is a formality, but not just a formality, it is real. It is more than a formality. The resurrection is at the heart of the gospel. Thus, Paul needed to include the truth of the resurrection in almost every letter he wrote. I think, no, every letter he wrote. The resurrection was always mentioned there. Now, for us who have grown up about the resurrection, I'd like to say, never get tired of it. Every day, you thank the Lord for the resurrection because without it, our Christianity is meaningless. We're just like everybody else, every other religion. Like there was a good man named Buddha who taught, but he's still dead. There was a, a, a wise man, Confucius, who taught wonderful things in China. And, and there is Lao Tzu who wrote mystical things, uh, but they're still dead. They died. And you can talk about even Muhammad, a prophet, but he's dead. They're all dead. What's the difference? God raised Jesus from the dead. That's different. And he never died again. Lazarus rose from the dead, but he died again, right? Unless you see Lazarus today, somewhere. No, of course not. Jesus rose from the dead. That makes all the difference. Jesus is alive, and everybody else died. But if there was no resurrection, Jesus would be just another great teacher in history. But no. He was the one who claimed, I will rise again from the dead on the third day. He was the one who said, no one goes to the Father 
except through me. He was the one who said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And everybody else who tried to claim those things are still dead. And he was the only one who claimed those things, but lived. Not just lived, rose again. Now, believers should never treat the resurrection as a simple concept, not just another philosophy or formality. Paul included the resurrection in his other letters, reflecting its importance to the apostle. There was a film about the life of Lee Strobel, and I encourage you to look for it. I believe it's in YouTube already. Lee Strobel. Okay, the case for Christ. And you'll find there that he, as a journalist, was an atheist, and he was trying to, how can he disprove Christianity? And he had a Christian co-worker and said, you want to disprove it? Go to the heart of it. Disprove the resurrection. And this is a believer challenging the atheist, leading him on because it's all about the resurrection. We are nothing without it. And he went on to use every available, at least four approaches. He tried to think of how to do how he can disprove it. So he interviewed one after another. Then he learned much about textual criticism. How do we assume something historically happened in the past and not a mere invention or a fairy tale about the resurrection? Not just a myth. How can this be? Is this just a myth or is it for real? Please watch his movie. In the end, he could not disprove. Now he is a staunch defender of the resurrection. And he, used, he interviewed PhD scholars, and he could not deny the resurrection. So brothers, let us not take this lightly. If you have a problem with it, if you want somebody to speak with, sure, let's speak about it, let's talk about it. But I'd like you to watch that film and he also has other talks that he has done. Lee Strobel, it's a wonderful, and he has books. I haven't read the book, but I've read, I've watched the film, and it was an amazing film. I could relate because from, as, as I'm also from the academe, so I, I was, I felt familiar with some of the approaches he used to, to really prove something. The resurrection. But then there is verse 2, which we will discuss, and let's read verse 2. And it says here, when he was writing this, and all the brothers who are with me. So he was saying, apostle, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And then he's saying, Paul is writing to you, and all the brothers who are with me. And he was writing it to the churches of Galatia. Now, the third point is sender and recipient. The recipient in verse two was the churches in Galatia. The sender was Paul and the other brothers. So he's saying, I'm writing to you, but it's not just me writing to you, okay? 
So I, I picture that there's a group of them ministering together, and some of them came. Uh, we know that, that, that if Barnabas was with him, Barnabas was in Jerusalem, but Barnabas was also in Antioch, who was part, part of these churches, and uh, he's just like saying, I'm with others, and they're, we're sending, we are one in sending you this message. We are united in sending you this message. Thus, I believe it is, that's why I believe it is ethical that pastors always consult their leaders, especially those confirmed and affirmed by the church in the things they do. As Paul was writing, he's saying, I'm writing to you, but it's not just me, and all the brothers with me are writing to you. And in fact, you're saying, they agree with me in my concern of the problem that you have, which is what you're departing from the gospel because of a slight adjustment, which is not really a different gospel because they also believe the major part of the gospel, but they made an adjustment and you're falling away from it. Paul was the writer of the epistle, but he was not alone. He mentioned that the letter was also from all the brothers with him. Paul wrote and sent the letter to the Galatians whom he ministered. Paul had an important message, but it was not only his message. It was also the message of his companions. Somehow it shows that the others confirmed his apostolic authority and the urgent instruction he would give. Now, how do we apply these things? Well, the first part, when we talk about Paul claimed he was an apostle, and uh, what's our connection with the apostles today? It's the New Testament. Because those who were confirmed to have written the New Testament with either apostles or those closely connected to the apostles, like Mark was closely connected with Peter, Although Peter also wrote epistles, but the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark. Apostleship was a divine office, thus we should respect the New Testament scripture because the content, the content came from the Lord and his apostles. If you remember John 17 and the prayer of the Lord for those who would believe him, he prayed for those who were with him. And the Lord Jesus said, Lord, uh, he was talking to the Father, and he was like, Father, you have given me these who believe. They were gifts from you, a gift from God. These men who believe. And I pray for them and those who would believe in them. Why would he pray for those who would believe in them? Because he was giving apostolic authority. They were the ones who were going to echo the things that Jesus taught them. And they would echo it. Of course, aside from that, Paul was given a direct instruction on the Damascus Road when he was about to persecute uh, believers. Now, how do we apply apostleship? Well, definitely don't claim to be an apostle. Is there an apostle here? Uh, there are many who claim to be apostles today. We must be careful. One test if you claim to be an apostle. Do you align with the apostles of the New Testament? Meaning you cannot contradict. God does not contradict himself. Because there are many today who claim that they have a divine revelation. Now, I'm not a, I believe God leads us and makes things clear to us. I believe that. I believe in miracles today as we pray for healing. As we pray for one another, we know divine intervention 
is real. However, to those who claim the Lord said to me, then you are allowing, if you say that, you are allowing all of us to test every word you say. Why? It's in Scripture. Every teaching must be tested. Every spirit must be tested. Once you claim that, having apostolic authority over churches, then allow us to scrutinize you down to the dot. Most of them won't pass. So, the safest is, what did the Lord teach the apostles and how did they explain it? Some people claim to be modern-day apostles, yet they are not careful to align their message to the Holy Scriptures. If their message does not align with Scripture, they are false apostles. On our part, that's why we say to you, study the Scriptures. Now, we're giving here every family to those who are consistent in the growth groups. If you're one family member of yours is consistent in the growth group, one family gets a book from our church community. It's what the elders have uh, discussed and approved to give you a gift. And uh, it is a, it's, it's how to read the Bible book by book uh, by Gordon Fee. It's not, well, we can't stay with one book, but at least it's a start. Uh, we have other books on, in church. I bought several books on Galatians, scholarly written, so you can test whatever I'm saying to you, if it is true and accurate. Because a true apostle would definitely should be, will be tested and they will pass it. And based on that is the gospel message they preach. That's why I, when a preacher suddenly states about preaching the gospel and making it as simple as what? If you raise your hand, you are saved. If you just walk the aisle and if you just repeat this prayer, you are saved. Or they isolate parts of scripture but neglect the others. Why neglect the others? Why? 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 Why just say, just believe in your heart and you shall be saved and not show that if truly you have grace, shall you continue to sin? Certainly not. It's the same Romans. It's the same book. Why neglect this part and just emphasize this part? Why? Probably because you are somebody who just wants to have the feeling of somebody came to Christ. You want to feel good, maybe. Or you're after growing an audience rather than growing disciples. Because it's easy to come to church and to believe that you're saved by just simple steps. Really, being saved is as simple as ABC? Uh, no, 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 brother. Uh, those who are truly saved would have repentance and genuine faith in their lives. And they know it within them. That God, God's Spirit has regenerated them. Something happened within. So how do we apply the concept of apostleship? It is the New Testament writings. Second is proclaim. Well, we Paul talked about the resurrection. The application is to proclaim the gospel. Let us continue to proclaim what? The death of Christ because of sin and proclaim that the Father raised him from the dead. 
People should hear about it even if they think they already know it. And let us include the resurrection in our proclamation. Include it in our public prayers when you're asked to lead the prayer. Include the resurrection there. We have to keep hammering it down and somehow, some way, through the Holy Spirit, God would make it alive in the people who listen to it in his time. In addition, at home, how do we apply this? How do we proclaim parents, children? We should remind ourselves about the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. Preachers should always proclaim it. But if, if we at home do not live like believers, we live like unbelievers, it's all about the actions. No, it starts with our belief in the home. It starts with belief. Don't you know that actions come from belief? The manifestation of every action has somehow a manifest, a, a root of belief somewhere in the mind and in the heart. We do what we do because of certain things we believe. And we do it unknowingly. Unknowingly. Now that's why we have to transform this, the things that we believe in. We have to align to scripture. Because if we truly believe in the gospel, the power of the resurrection to transform not only our souls in terms of salvation, but also the way we live, as will be discussed in Galatians, then what do we do? Then we trust in the Lord and we proclaim the resurrection at home. We say, thank you, Lord, for your death and resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that you transform our lives. We don't have the power to transform one another. We can influence one another, but not transform. And sometimes the way we influence is not always ethical. Sometimes it's manipulative. So how do we do this at home? The gospel is at the center. Then we become patient with one another by God's grace. In his time, the Lord will do his will in each of our lives. And I believe he is continuously doing so. But then we pray. Because there is no use for anxiety. Do not waste your emotions on worry. Some things you will never be able to prevent. You think you can control the actions of your children. Children, you think you can change your parents. God can. We can dialogue and somehow create some transformation between us. But for even before that dialogue happens, it means we have both the humility to dialogue, to listen to one another, and I'd like to say the power of the resurrection, the power of God can bring us to that point where we can respectfully dialogue with one another. Now, preachers should always proclaim it, although in church we know that there are times we talk about practical wisdom because that's still in scripture and we are still on earth. So once in a while we go to a book to discuss practical wisdom like, like Proverbs, but then we can't do that for a very long time because every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. I want you to understand that. Every Sunday you come here, we're actually celebrating that he rose again from the dead on a Sunday. So if some of you were asking, why not Saturday? Well, you can rest all you want on a Saturday, but we will worship on a Sunday because we celebrate the Sunday. Now, 
And lastly, alignment, because he said, I write to you, but not only me, but all the brothers who are with me are writing to you. So we are not alone with our message. Our message aligns with the Holy Scripture. Therefore, we should resonate with the apostles' message in our world today. Whatever message they had before, we should bring it here today. Take note, it's not culture that dictates our Christianity. The foundation is first the scripture, and we use that to influence our culture. However, I am not anti-culture. There are things in our Philippine culture which I believe is aligned with scripture. And one of them is, is being respectful, especially to our elders. That's one of those things that is, we know is in scripture. Now, aside from that, to align with the apostles' teaching, we should align ourselves with each other. We have to sync with the community. We have to sync with the brotherhood and the sisterhood. We have to sync. What do I mean syncing? We're learning, like we learn a sermon together on a Sunday and we discuss it in the small groups. Why? There's so much to discuss and you found that out. Before people thought when I was introducing this approach, no, we discussed that already. We should discuss something else. I said, we're not here in the accumulation of so much knowledge. Yes, that's true. We want to accumulate, but we want to live the knowledge that we learn. We want to live this. Discipleship is not just giving you information, teaching you like in a classroom. It's teaching ourselves yet discussing how we may live this. And it's different to just listening. Now Paul and his apostolic team, his group of teachers and leaders, his brothers were with him in writing the strong letter. It was a very strong letter. You'll see in the succeeding verses, it's pretty strong. I may never bring myself to that point because I don't have the authority to do so. So I ask you, as we test every leader, and if they are tested, would you stand with those who proclaim the true gospel? Will you band together? Will we band together and proclaim it? Will you stand with your leaders as well if there is a necessary to send a stronger message, but not as probably as strong as how the apostle wrote it. But we can echo the message, but not create our own. Will you give importance to the accuracy of the word of God? Or you just don't care? It's all the same. I'll go to so many churches in, in in Bicol and Manila, they're all the same. No, they're not. Listen to the gospel. Listen carefully. And have a healthy skepticism about the gospel. Because it's not. There are those that are, and I'm pleased to say to you, that there are many who are sensitive and conscious in how they proclaim, but there are more that are not. 
And they're inspiring speakers as well. But it's, that's not the point. The point is, do you give accuracy? So for example, if somebody preaches through Galatians, Ephesians, or, or Romans, or what, if they're preaching through it, first they have to preach through it, not selecting every now, always selecting, topical. Because the people learn if they really know what is the message of the book. Now what do you do? Does he skip? Does he follow? Does he emphasize what the apostles really emphasized, the writer emphasized? Is he bringing out the intent of the author that we must seek? So, alignment is important. Alignment first to the word and alignment to our brothers and sisters. I share to you a poem called From Paul and Brothers. Paul, an apostle of the Lord. It's in the scripture on record. Not made up by human beings, not nor commissioned by earthly kings. From Christ was his apostleship and the Father whom we worship. Paul mentioned the resurrection. It's central in our confession. In anguish, Paul was not alone. With brothers, but their names unknown. O Galatians, heed the message that you avoid your soul's wreckage. Paul wrote with a sense of urgency. One may feel his expediency and deep anguish in his travail. Yet he knows God's will shall prevail. Let us all rise. Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Allow us to grow in spiritual maturity. Not just in character. But in knowing your word. In being, having that healthy skepticism. That the gospel is your gospel, not ours. And we should not tinker with it. We should simply echo it. We should not change it. But be true to it. Help us understand the gravity of it. And allow us to feel the freedom in it. For indeed we are free, we are free, we are free. No longer bound by the law. No additions except the faith that you give us. And teach us to live this faith in the fruit of the Spirit. And one fruit definitely is obedience. That make us understand it's not our obedience that saves us. It is faith that comes from you. It is faith that saves. Not the obedience but the obedience is a manifestation because we deeply believe because you regenerated us you brought life to our souls to our spirits therefore we are free we are free to obey not because we're forced to it now because we want to because it is our joy because we love to.
as we embark on this journey to study Galatians. Give us wisdom and understanding. We admit we are limited, but you are unlimited. It's been 2,000 years. Yet we have to sift through the study, the research that was done. And hopefully we pray, humbly I pray, Lord, guide us that we may speak well of the intent of the author, which is your intent that you gave the authors. Bless every family here. And may we all put the gospel at the center of our lives in everything we do. Be glorified, O Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Good morning.